0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Frank. Here, as always, with my good buddy AJ. How's it going?
1: Hello out there.
0: And we have another special guest, one of our great friends, back from high school and way earlier, uh, Robbie Cavores. How you doing?
2: Hey, I'm doing well. How are both of you?
1: I'm doing great. Are man. Great. Um... It's awesome
0: to have you on. Um, you know it. It's weird right now like we haven't seen you in a long time but it's great to see you. And uh you know obviously you moved away for a long time and you're back and it, everything fell apart. So I got <laughs> like, back
2: just in time to live in New York. Yeah. <laughs> great move. <laughs>
1: how, how has that been, man? Um the, how have you been doing?
2: Oh, you know, holding up all right. I'm uh, all things considered, I, I'm in a good place. I uh you know, I have a place to live. I have a job currently, um, working from home. It's been interesting uh, with Mary, my partner. We're both working from home uh, in this little studio apartment. But actually, you know, it's it's gone pretty well.
1: That that's awesome, man. Uh, it is definitely uh, it's it's kind of interesting um, to be. Uh... We've all been quarantining together with our wives. Yep. <laughs> uh, it 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 has been a growing experience, um, you know. And I I don't know. It's awesome. Uh, you know. It's been a lot. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that, Frank?
0: Yeah, I I, I can't imagine a, a studio like. I'm very grateful that we have this other room here that. Like, we can break off and do like conference calls in here or just like chug away on some work or whatever, because it would definitely be challenging. But obviously, you guys are making it work.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like a long, it's like there's separate rooms, but there's no walls. Yeah. <laughs> so we can be, you know, up to 40 feet away, but still <laughs> see each other. <laughs> <laughs> sure.
0: Awesome. Um, so this week we're talking about uh, the second Roger Moore movie, The Man with the Golden Gun. Um, I had never seen this one before, uh, and I watched it I think two days ago. Um, AJ, was, was this your first time with this
1: movie? No, uh, I had seen this movie before. My dad had okay. shown this movie to me probably around the same time I, he would have like rented like Goldfinger, you know as one of like the seminal bond movies he really liked. And I think back then, like, I remember, uh, knickknack and I knew Christopher Lee was in the movie. Uh, but like I didn't remember most of it and it was a great rewatch for me. Uh, (laughs) what about you, Robbie?
2: I want to say, I believe I had seen this before, you know, like, like many, uh, many people. And I think you all were discussing this on a recent episode. Um, There was a time when I was in my, I guess, tween years where I rented and and saw a whole bunch of Bond movies, probably inspired by having played Goldeneye on N64 a lot. (laughs) Um, And I I recall watching this one, actually probably with another one of our good friends, Danny. Um, We were watching a lot of these together, uh, but I really didn't, you know, I don't know, the plot gets in my memory very convoluted, but I do remember the man with the golden gun himself and the mm-hmm. sort of fun house scenes and, and this sort of thing. Um, so it was interesting to watch it now and to, to re- recollect a little bit of it. Totally. And, and
0: similar to last week um, when we were talking about GoldenEye and, and the video game and like how they would throw in some of these secret characters, I feel like, well, definitely the Golden Gun was in the game. Like mm-hmm. that was a, a huge thing. Um, but I so I think part of it was maybe they had Manga in there too. But like, I, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't in there or not, but I think the golden gun is such, like, a specific thing from our childhood because of the gold, uh, golden oh, eye game. Oh, totally.
1: <laughs> totally. And the it, it was the one shot, one kill. It was a yeah. great weapon. If you actually had it, it was an awesome uh, way to play the game. Uh, I got to tell you, like... Um, playing the golden gun, like, and those other guns, I think I was trying to remember this after Nate's episode, like what guns I like. I really like uh, the RPC 90. That was like the automatic, like the heavy automatic <laughs> weapon. Sure. Yeah. Like, I think that was my favorite gun. I, uh, you know, I don't know if that's lame or not, but that was my favorite one. Um, yeah. faculty. That was probably my facility. Excuse me. Not faculty. The facility.
2: I like but, it's, Great game. (laughs) I liked Temple. I think that was a level where you could kind of barricade yourself in the middle of a big, I guess, temple with proximity (laughs) mines. Yep. Uh, And I I used to like doing that. (laughs) It's interesting to me,
0: like, as we've been watching all these movies, how much, like, that game had only, like, a certain amount from the the movie itself. Like, the, you know, the campaign itself, it pretty much followed the plot of the movie. But, like, all the multiplayer maps and the weapons and the bonus characters, like, that was pure just out of Bond history. And it's kind of really cool that they did that then because, um, you know, that's the kind of thing I feel like gets done now when they celebrate everything. Um, but, yeah, so this movie, to me, I had no – um you no know, no memory of or no experience with before. I really liked it. Uh, I think, you know, compared to the last one, Live and Let Die, like, I definitely liked it better. And um, But there are still things that make this really feel like a movie from the 70s and, like, oh, man, I can't believe they said that or I can't believe they did that. <laughs> um,
2: but do you guys like feel like this movie holds up? I felt like, um, yeah, it, it. I enjoyed watching it. And, you know, it was obviously – like all of these movies, uh, a product of its time in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it didn't, it didn't stop me from enjoying it. In fact, sort of trying to parse, uh, you know, I, I like in a movie like this, watching how the real world kind of seeped into the movie, right? You know, with some of the political conflicts and the, and the geopolitics that are always present to some degree in Bond films. Um, this, this made it more enjoyable for me to try to kind of think about it in those terms.
0: Yeah, they directly reference the energy crisis and and the sinking of the Queen Elizabeth. It's like huge, like actual, not even a plot point, but it's a it's a presence there. You see it and they are on it a lot. It's like- Yeah, wow. it's a setting. <laughs> yeah, it's a setting. And I think it's crazy because a lot of these movies, they just, especially in the 70s, were churning them out so quickly. Um, it's like they, they're probably making the next one before they even released it. Like this movie at the end, the title- uh, at the end of credits, it's like bond will be back in the spy who loved me. So it's like, they already know what's happening
1: next. Yeah. At that point when they're doing them, it's so it's both. So this is the last Saltzman broccoli joint. After this, Saltzman will depart the franchise and it will just be Cubby broccoli producing the movies and picking the directors. Um, uh, mostly because it was really hard to do, <laughs> you know. They had some major disagreements. You know, Cubby was more of the easygoing guy. Saltzman was more of the yelly guy. You know, you see what <laughs> happened. So um, when they're making this movie and they're when they're finishing uh, *Live and Let Die* and about to make this movie, like I think it's a, a cool time for Roger Moore because he really is doing these so quickly back to back in the way that they were doing them with Connery back in the day that it like they were beginning to pick, beginning to pick up speed. And I really liked how mo- I really like most of his portrayal of bond throughout this movie. And I feel like he's really coming into his own here. uh. And you know, it, it's also, this is one of a, Guy Hamilton, Guy Hamilton directed this movie. He, this is his last time doing it. He directed some of the earlier Bond films, uh, Goldfinger being his first one. Uh, on the DVD, he talks about, like, very early on in his childhood, like, working on uh, French movie sets and going up to directors who are setting up, you know, shots wrong. And he would, like, go home and make these detailed um you know uh story storyboards to then shoot these shots in these in these scenes for this french director and the guy like took his time out and like had to explain to this kid like this is absolutely not how that works <laughs> and <laughs> and like ultimately like rose through the ranks to become you know a pretty prolific bond director and i think this is one of his better films i think that the shots are really cool um the stunts i think are are really are really fun. They do seem a little redundant. I I would say in this film compared to the last film in terms of having another, you know, skiff kind of boat chase. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you know, but other than that, like I do think that, uh, I don't know. I, I like, I like this movie, It, it, it which isn't to say it's any less racist. This movie is pretty racist. Probably. Yeah. Uh, like the, you know, bringing back JW pepper and having him say it doesn't make it any less racist than, it is um so like it's still being produced and
2: i,
0: I can't believe he's a recurring
2: character
3: like yeah that <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that was my weird
2: yeah i um i, w- I didn't realize so un- until i was doing some reading after uh, about this movie some reviews and things um i didn't realize he was a re- this was a recurring role or this was a second <laughs> appearance we, we did um, not know either <laughs> No. Seems like a weird choice, uh, and yeah, he really is just a racist Southern cop <laughs> who shows up in Thailand in, Thailand. in all places. Indeed, yeah, why? Unnecessary.
0: So like, like he, he's supposed yeah. to be his sidekick or something. Like, come on.
1: All right. So now I think we got to talk about spoilers if we're gonna get any further. This movie is 50 years old again. If you haven't seen it, go rent it. But uh, ultimately, you can watch it on Amazon Prime right now. Um, it's available free to rent. Um, you could also get it off of any other, you know, I guess go to a library. What the hell? Uh, okay. They probably still have them there in VHS form. <laughs> so let's start with the slide whistle, and then we'll get into the the beating. <sighs> okay. um, the slide whistle, I think, is bad.
2: It's horrible. Uh,
1: it really <laughs> dilutes what is otherwise an amazing, ridiculous shot.
2: You're, you're talking about the car flipping over in midair, correct? Correct. Correct. <laughs> correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it actually the whole setup of that was kind of weird. I thought because it's really a pretty good chase, and then to do that to work that stunt in, they you know he backs up the car, kind of slows down the momentum, and it seems like it's going to be this big thing, and then it almost is, except for the slide, <laughs> so, uh, which made me think like it really took the edge off the whole stunt. I was like, oh okay,
1: yeah. <laughs> even the even the line right before it, like what he's like. I am boy like and he says it like in the accent with the affect like even that like I would say okay if he got away if they did the flippy and then they landed it all right fine but the slide whistle ruins it Shayna got up and she was like (laughs) that's wrong (laughs) I'm glad she took a stand (laughs) (laughs) she did she did
0: Um, that that was bad I mean like and you're right the, the whole thing about momentum is like as they're driving to the bridge I'm like I don't even know if they're going to make it. It doesn't feel like they're going fast enough. Obviously the stunt was real, so they had enough momentum, but the, the slide whistle just like takes you out of it. I feel like the first half of this movie is really solid. And then like, it has like this weird detour. And then the <laughs> last like 20, 30 minutes is really good. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I really hate that character. I don't know why it's necessary to put him there. Um, I'm, I'm, after the research, I don't think he's coming back, so that's a good sign. <laughs>
1: oh, that's good. That's good.
0: Um. So, but yeah. So, so basically, I guess we should talk about the plot of this movie. Like, yes. Um, who wants to take take a crack at it? AJ, do you want to do it?
2: Robbie, do you want to do, take a crack at the plot in as few words as possible? <laughs> I, I think you. One of you ought to do it. You <laughs> You're are right. practicing this, and you know to yeah. You can, you could do the same one with every movie and every Bond movie in a way, but you're having to differentiate them since you're watching all of them. <laughs> <Fair> yes. <enough. laughs> okay.
1: Well done. Uh, so, the global oil energy crisis causes um, a killing of specific barons in order to take over a solar energy uh, mechanism that he can then distribute to the world uh bond tries to stop him and he's like but there's also scaram this this is what we said last time scaramanger wants to kill bond bond wants to kill scaramander the man with the golden gun it can either be It really
0: can be as simple as that Uh, that the 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 plot of the movie is kind of centered around that he wants to kill Bond. And it's like this duel that they want to set up, which obviously they ultimately have it.
1: So um, they, the, the original script of this movie had more of them kind of mirroring each other. And like more of them, like talking about how, like, you know, <laughs> we're not so different to you and I, yeah, you know, <laughs> but instead they went with the uh, science jibber jabber, in the big uh, non solar panel solar room. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, and then, okay. So yeah, that's my crack at it, but I love Scaramanga. I love Monsieur Scaramanga. I loved him.
2: Can I say, can I say in relation to the, the, the fact that there are almost two plots to the movie, as you're kind of pointing out, like one of them revolves around Scaramanga and bond and Scaramanga's, for some reason, he knows who Bond is and specifically <laughs> wants to have a duel with him and has a, even a statue of him in his home. Yes. <laughs> um, so a little obsessive. Uh, it wasn't even totally clear to me. like, It seemed almost like pure happenstance that then Bond was also involved in this Solex adapter, whatever it was called, the, the solar power piece of equipment that he was seeking. <laughs> right. And Scaramanga was also involved in that. It's like there was this big personal feud and then they had to tie it in for some reason to this more geopolitical struggle over the energy crisis. Uh, so it was a weird thing in a way. And I will say I thought the Scaramanga bond sort of you know are they is one the, the double of the other was a more interesting part of the plot. It totally. Even though I also like the geopolitics. Right.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is like they almost kind of brush the geopolitics stuff under the rug like in the beginning of the movie it's like you're on this assignment and we're taking you off because there's a hit out on you. And it's like, okay, so this whole big thing that's happening, they're just not going to talk about, obviously comes back later. Um, But like, even so much that as Bond is, is investigating Scaramanga, like the guy that uh, was like his key target in this energy crisis, um, it gets killed by Scaramanga. So like, it's like okay, we're back into that plot again. It, like they forget about it for like what feels like forty-five minutes, and then it's back. Um, and then like the other weird thing is that the Bond girl, uh, Miss Anders, a- Andrea Anders, I, th- I think her name is. Indeed. Um, she um, she's like involved on both sides of this duel, right? Like she she basically wants. Actually, she high-
1: actually kind of sets up the whole thing. So maybe she I have to try does. again. Hold on, because I left her out. That was wrong. <laughs> All right, and, the, so, and
2: there's two Bond girls. There, it, so there, there are.
1: <laughs> oh, merry good night. That sounds like a good exclamation. Merry good night, it's hot in here. <laughs> I think I'm going to start using that, and we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll you know, track on, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it could work. Um, okay, so Miss Anders contacts Bond via MI6 to kill Scaramander. Like, in... in Inordinately.
0: Yeah, she sets up the the bullet uh, with the 007 uh, on it, and the the whole thing kind of unravels from there. And it, it and I actually really like that whole bit of detective work that Bond does to figure it out. Like he he tracks down the other bullet that killed the other agent several years earlier he swallows it and what we must surmise that he has to pass it at some point. (laughs) Just like, I'm glad they brushed past that point.
1: Yeah, that was wild. Um, they would have showed that in a new movie and you see Daniel Craig in a stall. just like dying. (laughs) Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, all right. So we talked about that. We did the plot game. Um, let's talk about the, let's talk about the, the beating. Um, he he beats this woman miss anders uh it's bad it's really um, bad um and like on the co- there's a commentary with uh um what's his name roger Moore. and he's on there he's like i would have much rather you know broken her heart than broken her arm we i would never do this again in a bond movie you'll see that from me and he's like i regret this <laughs> it's like <laughs> this is regrettable and uh and then we could talk about all the fun stuff, but that's the last I mean, piece.
0: That... At least he acknowledges that. Obviously, it's not his call. Like,
2: no, it's totally not. Write it. <laughs> it's write it. It was part of a pattern, I thought, in this movie. I mean, you know, not having seen, or having seen only, you know, ultimately a handful of these movies, even though I feel like it's a lot, um, I have not seen all of them, and I didn't watch them in order systematically, but given my understanding that more is, in most of the films, much less of a kind of Uh, he's less rough around the edges than the Sean Connery Bond, right? Absolutely. Except for in in this, I thought there were a number of moments where he has this kind of sadistic streak, or at least a willingness to use violence. So that is obviously a big one. There's also, you know, he threatens the the guy who makes the golden bullets, who actually seems to admire, who has also heard of Bond and admires him. Yeah, you really just start shooting at him right away.
0: (laughs) He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to shoot you in the groin. Oh, yeah, it does need to be uh, an inch higher or whatever. It's like, (laughs)
1: okay. (laughs) I kind of like that he was kind of with this reckless abandon a little bit. I just think that they played it out in weird ways. And, like, I think it kind of – he's trying, I think, to do what I think Dalton would do better in The uh, Living Daylights, which is to play Bond, who's, like, frustrated – And, like, to play someone who's like, well, they're out to fucking kill me. And, like, I'm out over here, like, not dealing with, you know, all this other shit that I really have to be dealing with. I have to go deal with this asshole who wants to kill me. That sucks. And I I do kind of appreciate where they tried to go. Um, I just think maybe it was executed wrong. And I think they would go on to um, go. I think that what we'll see in the next movie is that they go much more Uh, comedic, and and it's going to really take a a much more funny turn, which isn't to say that this movie isn't really funny. And I was totally laughing at different parts, and I think one of my favorite parts of it is Nick-Knack, Herve Villaleche, is just awesome in this movie, and I I loved him. And I think I remember him from my my childhood, and I loved him again in this movie, and I don't know. What did you guys think of nick Nack?
0: I liked him a lot. I think he... um... He's a – like, he had a, a, a physical presence that, like, he was able to take on Bond or, he, or any of – even the guy in the beginning, the other agent. Like, he, he was outsmarting them in ways. He was very much, like – it be, made you think, like, he, oh, maybe he's a double agent and he's going to, you know, cross Scaramanga. He's like, no. He's very much a supporter of Scaramanga. Um, I think, yeah, he was funny at times. He was threatening at times. I just liked his presence on screen. He has really good charisma um what about you robbie
2: yeah i, I agree with that he was uh, definitely a good character and, and a well performed part um and yeah in the opening sequence his role at like you say a kind of the intrigue that he brings to it and which even reprises in the final sequence like totally on the one hand you know at that point that he is totally scaramanga's sidekick but it, because of the way he plays it you still question like Oh, maybe he really, you know, what is the nature of their relationship? Maybe he <laughs> right. really doesn't, isn't satisfied with it uh, when he suggests that he might help bond or whatever. Um, yeah, I thought I thought it was fun to watch and a great um, since we're now in the spoiler section, a great ending moment too, where he tries to get his revenge. Yeah, totally.
0: And I remember I mentioned it to Megan as we're watching. I was like, uh he's totally on the boat. He's gotta be <laughs> on the boat somewhere."
3: <laughs>
0: um. Yeah. And their fight was cool. I don't love that they, that he put him in a box. I think that's kind of like pretty degrading. Uh, but you know, for him to not kill him and throw him over the edge, like I, that was good. Like he was basically, you know, tied up in the brig, not in the brig, but like in the mass of the, of the boat. So that's good. Um,
2: it really did get me. I thought, you know, based on the implication in those last few lines when uh good night's like bond, you didn't and he said, Oh yes, I did. Or whatever. <laughs> Uh, and the implications that him, he yeah. threw him over, <laughs> I was like, "Wow, that's they that went to a really even darker place than I thought."
1: <laughs> I was a, uh, I don't know. I liked the, I think the effects and the sets in this movie are like, fucking awesome, and like the set on board the ship is just so trippy and cool. Not to mention all of the awesome stuff that they do at Scaramanga's house and all of the cool. um locations that they are in this movie uh i i don't know i think this movie looks and like it definitely feels exotic and that was a big part of the marketing in the trailers like take an exotic vacation it came out at like christmas time um i don't know what did you guys think of the sets and stuff the settings
2: yeah i thought the the settings were a highlight of the movie i mean just beautiful scenery in thailand and macau and hong kong um And i guess beirut at the beginning too though i don't know that that was shot on location like the other ones were probably not <laughs> um but yeah no really amazing scenery uh and you, when when they do end up at scaramanga's uh hideout slash solar plant um <laughs> it's uh you really feel like oh they're even farther off the map um and so the sort of Southeast Asian and East Asian setting was interesting. It was exoticized a little bit, which obviously it's really all beautiful, but it, it did. That I feel like also is a kind of play to the moment where it's like uh, Vietnam War era still or, or just ending. Kung Fu um, is
1: like super huge at this moment.
2: Yeah, Kung Fu, new relationship yeah. with China under yep. Nixon. Um, so like they really try to make the most of, of the Setting and the location in that sense.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, it is beautiful at times in, in some of the locations that they go to. Um, I think going to Macau was pretty cool because obviously he does that later in, in a Daniel Craig movie. Um, sure, yeah. And, uh, the, you know, a little element of uh, the casino, which is cool. Um, so it just felt like it had, it was like checking the boxes, right? You've got cool locations, you have him do. Uh, a little bit of uh, casino elements. You've got him uh, having cool stunts in planes, train not trains, uh, planes, mm-hmm. boats, and automobiles. Um, he's got two Bond girls. like yeah, the, car
1: was, the,
0: the car, car plane? The car plane. The
2: car plane. He's got both. <laughs> that was cool. That was awesome. It was it was unexpected. It, it didn't seem entirely practical to me that you'd have a special car that can also become a plane <laughs> if you have another piece. Um, but it was cool to watch. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there's no way that thing would take off. It's
0: way
1: too heavy. It's not gonna happen. Uh, it was. I was a great effect though. I loved. Um, I I think that that whole car chase was really awesome. I have the fucking slide. The fucking slide whistle. Um, yeah. Let's talk about. Uh so I I like Bond's relationship with MI6 in this movie but there's no Q scene and there's no Q gadgets really. Well, there is kind of a Q scene.
0: Um I don't know. There there's a Okay, moment. you're
1: kind of, you're kind of right. There is a Q, there is a, a scene at Q, a scene at Q branch. But Correct. in the traditional sense of the word, when I mean a Q scene, <laughs> I mean that Desmond Llewellyn is going to have a uh, a thing he's working out, Bond comes over to look at it, it malfunctions, Bond makes a joke. He then gets the weapons he's going to use in the movie. They make another joke, and then we go on with the rest of the film. Fair. That's yeah, a cue it's, scene.
0: It's a, it's a little taste of it, but it's not quite
1: enough. <laughs> I like the feeling of Bond really being on his own and without the help of these gadgets that we've seen for so long. We'll see that they're going to totally go a different direction in the next movie, but for right now, they really stripped Bond, I think, a lot of his abilities, and it does rely on him to have you know th- some of the crappy martial arts that he does but also that they you know they do other stuff besides you know we have this special mcguffin that's gonna malfunction the special device and we're gonna then have the deus ex machina and move on with the movie like i appreciated that they were trying to strip him of the kind of uh superhuman and super power abilities that he's had in previous films
0: yeah i mean it it, it's cool um you, you do feel like you're missing a little bit i mean I think more so with uh, like there's no Bond car. Like there is a very cool car and a cool there's car a chase. Cool.
1: There's tons of there's tons of cars, but there's no Bond car.
0: Yeah, so that I miss. Um, you know, to have something that helps him. Like even just, you know, the last movie had the watch, and the watch was kind of like whatever. Um, so yeah, his <laughs> physicality was, was more of a, a presence, so that was pretty cool. Um, so, can we talk about the girls? Yes.
1: Yeah, who do you want to start with, Frank?
0: I kind of want to start with uh Mary Goodnight. Um damn it, Mary Goodnight. So like to <laughs> me she's introduced, you feel like she's just going to be there for a moment and then gone for the rest of the movie. Not the case, not the case at all. Like she actually comes back and is throughout the rest of the movie and the other uh Anders dies like halfway through the movie. I was that was not what I expected. What I didn't appreciate Well, the few things is, like, he's about to have sex with her after this exchange where she's like, no, I'm not going to fall for that. So, like, what's that all about? Then he locks her in a closet and has sex with the other woman. Really, really bad stuff. Um, And then, like, the last third of the movie, she's in a bathing suit. And, like, no point. She's like, oh, I'm going to go put on, like, a robe or something. Like, it's just so impractical. And I don't like how dumb they made her. Like she presses the the button with her ass, and like,
2: like come on. Yeah, she's she's responsible for several of the <laughs> of the negative turns that the movie takes in terms of things that affect Bond. A hundred. And they really just made her a ditzy blonde, so not the most creative idea for a uh, a woman in a movie. Um,
0: let, let alone a secret agent, right? She's
2: right. she's not double O status, but
0: she's like, she's, she's works embedded.
2: Sure she's in the field and yeah the closet thing was another example that stuck out to me of the cruelty of bond because it was really totally unnecessary also you'll get your turn what the fuck (laughs) that was crazy
1: could you imagine could you imagine like going, like like the ball like like we never you never really think about it because like it feels natural it feels like a part of the movie like bond is gonna he's been with this woman for 45 minutes you know they have some, you know, chemistry. There, he's gonna sleep with her. Okay, cool. Um, this is this was brutal. He was really he was rough in this. He was rough in this movie.
0: And like they had a couple of lines for her to that she, uh, I think she says like, "Oh, I'll get my turn," or or whatever. Whenever he like drives away from her, like so, she has a few things that like give her some empowerment, but then she like backtracks on it. And like later on is like, Oh, I couldn't believe that I was ever going to sleep with you. And like has this moment with him on the boat. It's like, come on. So I feel like on, on one hand, they're trying to make it a little progressive, but then they like totally like undermine all of that work.
1: Um, so I, okay. So I really liked miss Anders actually. Um, I think she was, captivating on screen. And I liked, uh, I liked the, the chemistry between her and bond. I did not get, I did not get why the first scene had to have them. He had to walk up on her in the shower and just be like, he didn't even look like he was like trying to hide. He was just like, I'm here. We're doing this. And like, he had done that before. I, that was crazy. Um, I don't know. I, I liked her later on in the movie the whole time. And I was like kind of rooting for her until, she died. Um, and <laughs> I, I was like, "Oh, cool. Like I would like to see her them end up together. That would be a good story point. And it would be cool to see him, you know, end up with the the villainous bond girl as opposed to this person who I thought they could have used as really more of the butt of the joke. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't think the I don't think the, the button pressing is the worst part. I kind of, I thought the button pressing was kind of okay. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna let that slide. I think everything else was bad, but I'm, I, I, I don't know. I'm a Buckeye. I liked it. I didn't mind <laughs> it. Um,
0: Robbie,
2: what did you think of the girls in this movie? Um, well, uh, Anders, I mean, I thought she was an interest, more interesting character, um, you know, just uh, because she's, she's put in this place from the very beginning where on the one hand, you see her as um, a partner to Scaramanga and involved, uh, pretty intimately with his plans. Um, and then, you know, she has this moment after, a, I, I don't know if it was after her second meeting with Bomb, where she kind of says, like, look, uh, I'm not free to leave Scaramanga even if I want to. right?" And you do get this idea. Like, I feel like it's queued up even before that. This is a guy who kills people. Uh, he's an expert assassin. He clearly, uh, you know, wants what he wants and tries to get it. So, yeah, she she's, in some sense, trapped with him, uh, and I thought it was a, an interesting, vulnerable moment, and to kind of flip the script on, like, oh, she's a femme fatale, but actually she's, you know, she's not free to do anything else, um, and that, you know, she, as as we already discussed, actually set the whole plot in motion, supposedly, by sending right. Bond the 007 bullet, mm-hmm. and at that point, you also don't know if that's true or not. You don't know if that's part of her dual role, um, but then it amounts to... to let's say it amounts to nothing but then she dies and it becomes irrelevant
3: right
2: yeah i mean she she definitely and it's it's
0: kind of unfortunately you do really feel bad for her it's like he only will sleep with her before he's going to kill someone and it's like this really gross kind of relationship that they have so yeah you want bond to like if if this was a, a bond girl that daniel craig's bond met like totally different outcome totally different outcome but yeah um it is kind of a bummer that she dies the way that she does it's like we're like, is she just gonna sit there like wouldn't she like slump over or something
1: but <laughs> like... i i gotta i gotta say and it's a good segue frank i really liked that first scene meeting with uh christopher lee and and roger moore i think that is a fucking batman jo- meets joker level scene where that he's like i'm here like this is what's going on the only part that didn't make sense to me was that Scaramanger didn't find the Solex, because I think to me that he would have found it and then made away, and then Bond is still trying to find it. I I think that would have been okay too. Right.
0: They could have just taken out the whole bit.
1: But I love that. I love that scene, and I love them together, and I love the idea that there is this other kind of you know black market assassin. That after we've seen all of the you know the Spectre stuff and the earlier Sean Connery movies, that they're like trying to move towards who else could really be a threat to Bond, and in the discussions that uh, Christopher Lee has on this movie, because he's he is ri- widely regarded as a really great villain by the the uh, by fans, uh, he's like you have to really make them believe that you're a threat, that I am going. I I could hurt bond. I am that guy. I am that powerful. And I think that he so communicates that and it feels, um, you know, we have a category for villain and physical antagonist in that we've seen that, you know, usually the villain is some egghead or some other guy who's planning a scheme. And then there's a guy who works for that dude who bond will inevitably fight. But ultimately, (laughs) Uh, this is one of the same, and it's the first time where you really see, like, Bond's equal, and I, 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 gotta say, like, the, the cool scene at the end, where they're having the dinner together right before the duel, I, I think is one of the, it's one of the best in the movie, and I think it's one of, it's definitely, like, a highlight reel moment for me, like, I, I love this guy. Um, and I loved his island. I loved his style. Mm-hmm. I liked his clothes. I liked that he ordered Tabasco sauce. I like, I, I was, <laughs> I was there like, and like he had this crazy funhouse thing that he lets this, like, you know, this dude, who, his valet who works with him, like kind of mess with him a little bit. Like he likes the kind of gentle ribbing of somebody egging him on to go after the kill. Like, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. 10 out of 10 for me on this guy. We'll talk about that later. What did you think, Frank?
0: I I loved him too. Um, I think Christopher Lee, excellent actor. Saduman.
1: Count Dooku. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, He just brings a a level, brings the the quality up a level to me. And then, yeah, I mean, everything you've already mentioned, like his, I do like his like backstory that he was kind of a a circus guy. Yeah. That's why he's got this fun house thing. And it's like, it's a really cool way to start a movie. Um, and then it, it comes, like Robbie said before, it comes back later as a very important piece. Um, and like, I, you understand his motivations and like, at times you're rooting for him. Um, yeah. One, like once you get to the, like, like energy plot thing of it all, it's like, okay, sure. It's like fire the laser, right? Like, <laughs> like that's a little much, but, um, I
3: didn't even think about that. <laughs>
0: and like his whole like secret volcano lair kind of thing whatever yeah. but um and like his one random guy that like happens to work on the machine it's like why is there only one guy <laughs> <laughs> you need more henchmen dude uh but no i liked him a lot i think i do kind of wish that they had more of like a duel like the the fact that it, like he sets it up and then Bond turns around and he's gone is really interesting, but I would have liked to see like, who would have really won out there, you know?
2: Yeah. I th- that was an interesting moment. And I thought, you know, I agree with both of you. I think he's a great villain, uh, well acted sort of, I mean, just a weird guy. Like that's a good idea for a Bond villain. Yeah. Like, he's, he's not wacky. A, not a, I mean, you know, he's not dissimilar from some other, like Goldfinger is also a weird guy, but, um, Still, you know, that one of his main attributes is that he has a third nipple. Like, just starting off with that. <laughs> oh my
3: God.
2: <laughs> we didn't even mention it yet. Um, so, actually, like Chandler he's Bing. <laughs> he's kind of bizarre. You have this funhouse scene in the beginning, and it's like you start off kind of in his own psyche, right? Because it's yeah. got these things from his past, like you mentioned, his sort of carny background or whatever, his circus background. Um, he lets, as you say, knickknack mess with him and, and toy with this weird fun house and, and play with it. He's um, got his obsession in there. He's got Bond. And, uh, yeah, I, but the one thing I, I don't agree with that you just said, Frank, is or the one thing that wasn't as clear to me was, what are his motivations? And what I mean is, on the one hand, he's obsessed with Bond and wants to just, you know, be in a fight with someone that he thinks is the only person that could really challenge him because he's such a great assassin, um, but on the other hand, he doesn't go for a straight duel. He, he still has to play out his fantasy of fighting Bond within his own psychic world of circus things, gangsters, cowboys. Um, so it, that struck me as kind of weird. And uh, in addition, one thing I liked that was made his motivation all the more confusing was that like he kills his boss to take over the solar energy project, uh, but seemingly has no interest in it. He's like, oh, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Bond's explaining it to him. He's like, well, you know better than I do. I'm just, you true. <laughs> know, I'm just trying to maybe make, he doesn't even say it. He's trying to make money maybe just so he can keep living his sort of nice things lifestyle. Um, but his real, his real obsession is this kind of sadistic thing where he has to act out killing in a very particular way against Bond. And And it ends up being his
0: foil, right? Like he thinks he's, he's, rehearsed this thing so many times and he feels like he, he's in his territory and he has the upper hand and it ends up backfiring
2: yeah yeah absolutely it's it's certainly his turf um but it, but it doesn't work out but
1: but why would scaramander leave a loaded gun in the model of, <laughs> of the roger moore lookalike?
2: i don't think it was i thought he might have recovered his I, gun
1: i think he recovered his gun so he, he so still he crawled like down bullets. the catwalk to, the abyss. <laughs> I mean,
2: the the layout of the room wasn't entirely clear, like where the catwalk even was in relation to the statue. But okay. I get it seemed that that's what I assumed. I could be, you know. That's knows. what
0: I assumed too. Um, but AJ, you could be right because he clearly stripped the model and took those clothes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so indeed, maybe there was, was a loaded gun. <laughs>
1: The balls on that guy. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I thought this guy was really great. Um, going forward, you know, I think the villains kind of, they they don't seem as personal. Like, I feel like this felt kind of a little personal, you know, yeah. in, in a way that, like, he was like, I kind of want to kill you because you're a piece of shit. And, and he just wanted to do it. It kind of l- reminds
0: l- me of Silva from Skyfall in some way, like yeah. in that personal like vendetta. But that was,
1: but the vendetta was really against M. It true. wasn't really against Bond. True. And they tried to do the duality there, but they're, but even then they're more different. This I think is more of a good duality play of like, where we both kill for money. Yep. End of story.
2: Yeah. And, and there is that question in that dinner scene, you know, um, Scaramanga says, like, what, how are we really different? And I don't think the movie goes in the direction of definitively answering that question or definitively showing that they're not different. But, you know, it's sort of like, what is the impulse? Bond sort of serves his country ostensibly. Uh, He's got somewhat benevolent motives, it would seem. But underneath that, you can ask about both these characters. Is it that they just like this sort of chase and kill? Is that what really drives them? Mm
1: that may be the underlying thing of the whole movie rob because like that's bond's mo (laughs) like he's down you know and it's you know it's not really that he you know he out he outmaneuvers him because you know Scaramanga is prideful you know he's not suspecting the unexpected and that you know he did leave this big lifelike mannequin of Roger Moore in his funhouse. Um,
0: I love that. It's like specifically Roger Moore too. I think it would have oh, been. A that's lo- cool. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been weird if it was like, Oh, it looks like Sean Cottery here.
1: <laughs> or imagine it's Lazenby. <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, I like the, uh, the ending of this movie, I think is um, I like the double ending. Cause you want to see uh, obviously knickknack return and, and you know, have the, have the final, you know, come up in. So I think today would play out much differently. I think the suitcase is a little fucked up, but okay. Um, it's in the movie. Uh, and then I like the boat at the end. And then, I don't know, to me, this movie felt a lot like tomorrow never dies. Did we were mentioning that a little bit earlier? Yeah. Um, I love tomorrow never dies. Um, uh, Rob final thoughts before we go into ratings,
2: man. Um, well, I guess one thought, you know, just thinking more about this question of what drives Bond a little bit, and again, how it relates to this other plot where there's this geopolitical rivalry. Um, I, I was, I'm curious to, to sort of look into this more and just think about like, you know, what role does the fact that this is Britain, you know, he's an agent of Britain in a sort of cold world moment, where Britain is aligned with US, the U.S., he's aligned with the racist Southern sheriff for a moment. Um, and the fact that it's all about the energy crisis, which you know is like okay, uh, developed countries in that moment needed to, or were at the for the first time in the 20th century, we're at the mercy of these less developed countries because they had access to something they didn't have. Um, and I feel like there's almost a. a questioning not just of the motives of Bond, you know, is he really about to kill, but kind of of the motives of, like, British imperialism or, uh, you know, powerful actors at the level of geopolitics in general. What is it that drives them? Um, Is it that they're hungry for power, or are they just trying to achieve the goal of, you know, the reasonable goal of wanting to have access to energy? Um, I don't mean to take us too off course, but this was something that really— at the end of the movie I was thinking a lot about like what I was wondering
1: where you were going to come off of it. Like <laughs> I, I, I kind of was, I was really waiting. I was like, where's Robbie's take going to be? He'll have a thesis. he will be somewhere <laughs> in there, but I, it's like, I just got to wait and you, and you got it so good. So yes, absolutely. This is about a little bit about British colonialism and British imperialism for sure, because this is post, you know, think about the, the average person going to see this movie in the seventies. Like, you know, at that point, you know, it, it's it, their lives have changed so much. I bet most of those people had probably have memories of World War II. Maybe they don't. And that's kind of it. They don't remember kind of how Britain set up the whole world as we know it. <laughs> and you kind of see as, you know, especially in the Hong Kong uh, mm-hmm. stuff, yeah, you know, for sure. that is very present here. And we're in a different kind of world. And, you know, that Britain is kind of losing... Uh, well, I don't know if they make that case so well, but Britain—we know that Britain is losing power, and it's playing out here in kind of a way where um, I think they're trying to like reassert a little bit, especially by doing the set reboard the ship. What do you think, Frank? <sighs>
0: yeah, I mean, you, you do feel that presence, like, like okay, the, there's this mysterious uh, sinking of the of the ship there, and the fact that it's got a presence there. I feel like in it itself is like this like, ironic, like, very interesting symbol, right? It's, like, the sinking ship of of Britain outside of Hong Kong. It's, like, the thing to come. I do love that set. That set is awesome, the way that they have everything kind of shifted. Oh,
1: completely agreed. (laughs) Tilted ship
2: interior. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But isn't it them saying, like, still we have this. (laughs) We built this crazy facility inside of
2: this. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and they even say they're, like, you know, here we've got – the People's Republic of China on the one side and the U S on the other. And we're kind of here we are.
1: Uh, yeah. And I, I <laughs> it's interesting that, um, they don't come back to the, uh, the sidekick character while they were in, um, I, this is when they're in, in Bangkok, in I think Bangkok. when they're in, right. they in Thailand. Um, uh, they cut away from him when after they get out of Hong Kong, and I thought it would have been like cool to, like, really play with it and really get into it. And it just felt like he could have come along for the ride and helped Bond at the end. Um, yeah, it was interesting um, that they had him for the middle bit, and then you have the girls in uh, fighting the bad
2: guys. <laughs> oh yeah, his nieces, <laughs> his nieces, nieces.
1: <laughs> yeah, um,
0: the, the karate stuff is cool. Um, it's interesting that like. You show they have like a few like matches right before Bond is involved, and then like Bond's involved, and he's like totally not about the honor. He just like kicks the guy in the face. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it sets up like like you mentioned like an era of kung fu where like people were really interested in all that fighting. And I think it's Bruce cool that Lee. yeah, that I think it's cool that the the nieces had a role to play, and that it wasn't just like, oh, we got to drive them to their you know. To, <laughs> tennis lessons or whatever they're going to yeah, sure so, they were pumped um, they were pumped to be in that fight too yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so before we get to ratings there's one other little thing and i guess we can maybe talk about later too but like the physical golden gun itself we haven't talked about it oh like, yeah it Ooh. so in addition to looking very cool it's like a little like you have to put it together. You got to take all three pieces. And it, I think that's a really cool way for a villain to have this like subtle thing in his pocket at all times that he just like, he puts it together. He's got his magic bullets and like um, I think it's a cool effect that the way they handle it. Um, what did you guys think about the golden gun?
1: I'm so glad you brought it up, but <laughs> I want Rob to answer.
2: Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I thought it was cool. Uh, especially because, as you were mentioning before, there was no sort of Bond gadgets. Um, It really revolved in terms of gadgetry, and obviously, you know, it's the titular gun. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of this one very special kind of thing. Uh, And it wasn't clear to me at first that actually it was something that he would construct out of these three pieces until somewhere in the middle of the movie where you see him doing it casually, right? And you see that all the pieces are gold, and you know he fires this golden gun, um, and it cues up his his killing of his boss at that point. Um, and yeah, I mean, it it was it's a cool looking device. and uh, I mean, I guess it's helpful to have a gun you can hide like that. You would think that considering he can seems to have um, unlimited power to orchestrate his shots and everything, that it wouldn't be a big deal to hide a gun. Um, but, you know he has it on him at all times and uh he's got these sort of classy gadgets even when they're not a gun like a nice pen
1: mm-hmm. i like that it was custom to him i like that it was unique to his character i like that at the end when he's um uh when bond arrives and uh, Nack comes out with the bollinger and uh we see off screen um that he shoots the he shoots the the cap out of the champagne the cork out of the champagne bottle and he comes over and he has this beautiful Colt 45 and he's like that's a toy <laughs> like <laughs> you know like i do my killing with this one specific thing that i made for me now having said that oh because only he can have it and like only he can have the ammunition and the ammunition is expensive and it's hard to get i don't think it's super practical but it's only because he can kind of do what he does. He's kind of like a Marvel superhero in kind of a way, you know, like he's got like his tragic flaw that like, you know, he's super prideful and he thinks he's, you know, on top of everything and can outsmart everybody with, and will definitely shoot you. He will absolutely be able to shoot you. But like we see with bullseye, like doesn't always work out, you know, yeah. like that that's not a great, it's not a great superpower, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I like the golden gun. I like that it looked different than a regular gun, that it wasn't. And in the trailers, it's just a regular Walter PPK that they turn on the color to make it look gold. It's not. <laughs> it's not the golden gun we come to know and love. There's actually a really cool movie replica set that I watched a couple of YouTube videos on where you can get the full movie replica that will assemble. It comes disassembled. You can assemble it. I will not be buying this. (laughs) But it's out there. Uh yeah. The cool
0: thing about it, so like I said at the start of this, like I my experience with the golden gun uh comes from Goldeneye, the game. And so like in the game, it's a one shoot kill. Like if you hit the target, they're dead. And so my original conception was that it was about the bullets and that these like golden bullets will kill you as soon as they hit you. But it's really kind of interesting that it's actually more about Scaramanga and that he is such a great shot that if he hits you, you die. So it's it's kind of a cool way that they incorporated that into the game. And like, um, I I thought it was more about the actual device itself being so lethal, but it's more about him
2: and let me say in the game when i would have the golden gun it would never work out for me because I could, my strategy was usually to fire a lot and button mash so it really wasn't the right tool for for me personally as a player when i was 10 years old or whatever but uh but i knew people that could do it well and it was very frustrating when they had the golden gun
0: <laughs> all right so i feel like we've covered pretty much everything um we're going to dive into our ratings now, um, which we will be able to cover a few other things if we've missed them. Um, So Robbie, just to tell you about how this works, um, we've come up with 10 different categories. Um, AJ and I rate from 1 to 10. um, That way, everything adds up to 100. um, Or I guess it could go as low as (laughs) 0 if we wanted to. Um, So the different categories that we have are the opening sequence, the plot, uh, a category for gadgets slash Q or the car, uh, Bond girls, the villain, the physical antagonists, like AJ mentioned earlier, the Bond performance, uh, specifically how uh, the current actor portrays Bond. Um, category for legacy or continuity and relevancy, just you know how we feel about this movie today, the special effects and the score and the song. Um, so with that. AJ, would you like to kick it off with the opening sequence?
1: Indubitably. Um, Okay, so I gave this one an eight. Uh, The reason being was I think it was a really effective opening sequence in creating intrigue and mystery around this character and really bringing you into the story. Uh, It's unique for me because this is one of the Bond uh, openings that actually doesn't include Bond that I would give it such a high rating, but I think that for the movie, it definitely is a great tone setter. It definitely uh, sets up some of the uh, you know, intrigue we're about to see and has me completely curious to find out, you know how Bond is going to fit into all of this.
0: I agree. I gave it a seven, so a little less than you. But I think for a sequence that doesn't include bond at all and is really not like a big action set piece, which is like the things that we have been come used to, um, yes. It, it, it's it's more about the intrigue and i really love that we're following this one agent go through this fun house and like i love that it comes back later um so pretty high marks for considering what it actually is um rob yeah
2: okay i'll say i'll say i will say do not have scores written down for all of these um all the categories that you mentioned to me but uh <laughs> i i would give this i would say a nine i love this This weird, uh, like I mentioned before, just this funhouse aspect that is this guy's little mental state encapsulated in a room. uh, Very intriguing to me. (laughs) Awesome. Um, All right, so moving along to the plot,
0: um, AJ, you gave this very high marks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I gave this a 10 because I think this is going to be one of my favorite ones. I think that, you know, I like that this is another one of the Bond movies that is either very complicated or very simple. And I think that, it if you were to do this movie today but update kind of the circumstances i think you could probably do this plot again in that they have a new solar device and we're trying to you know monopolize it to the world and there's an energy crisis i think that that 100% could play out today it it holds up it is uh it moves with quickness it doesn't there isn't a lot of time where we don't know what's going on and it i think that it has one of my favorite things—a great exposition. When, uh, in the very beginning, uh, you know, Anne asks uh, James Bond, "Who is yeah. And He's like, "Ah, the man with the golden gun. He has three nipples." <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you know, like I—I I love those uh, expositional moments, and I loved how uh, I loved how it flowed. Well, yeah, ten.
0: I gave it a seven. Um, I do appreciate uh, kind of the more straightforward of it all and I liked the the beginning like detective work and, and us following along with Bond like you mentioned the exposition um, but I do feel like again there there are moments in this movie where it just like kind of grinds to a halt and like unfortunately like a lot of that comes around some of the big action set pieces but like if they could have trimmed things up and you know made some adjustments here or there I think it, it would have maybe gotten higher marks for me um, Robbie what do you think
2: yeah, I would, I would have to give it a little bit lower. I would say a six, um, because I enjoyed it in a lot of ways, uh, but I found it a little bit disjointed. And, you know, on, on the one hand, the plot gets you from uh, interesting scene to interesting scene pretty well. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I had to give up thinking about why, you know, what, <laughs> what were the actual connections between the various things that were happening? I just sort of let that go and suspended disbelief. Um, but, it, you know, it, it worked. It just... Uh, it required that for me. Totally. Um, all right. So moving on to gadgets.
1: Um, I'm going to take this down a peg. I, I gave this an eight. Um, it doesn't have a Q car. It doesn't have a proper Q gadget. What it has is really great villain gadgets. It also has the car plane. Um, so I, I think that they were showing off that the bad guys have power too in this movie and that w- we are going to strip Bond away from you know, his normal, uh, deus ex machina kind of gadgets and make him have to fight against the other guys. So I think that maybe the inverse is actually okay with me. So yes, I'm going to say an eight.
0: Mm. Yeah. I I said seven. Um, yeah, I, I love the the golden gun and kind of all the, the bullets and everything attributed to it. Um, and kind of like the other MacGuffins throughout the movie, um, I think that all works. I, li- I like the car and and, and the, bo- the boat plane – or not the boat plane. I, I thought that it was going to be a car boat, but it ended up becoming a car plane, so that's why I said that. <laughs> um, I do wish Q was, like, more present. It's interesting that he, like, had a few scenes, but, like, more as just, like – on the side and, like, helping out, which was cool, but, like, he didn't really give Bond anything cool to use. Um, What do you think, Robbie?
2: I would give it an 8 as well. I Yeah, it is, you know, you might be disappointed with the lack of the cue scene. I thought the golden gun was uh, such an interesting object. Uh, In addition, I think, to the big laser, which we didn't even really talk about that much. um, (laughs) The
1: actual golden gun. (laughs) Right,
2: yeah, which he even makes that illusion um, this giant solar-powered laser uh, beam. that Bond almost also gets killed by, um, which True. is actually a very tense scene for me. I was like, you know, how's he going to get out of this? Um, yeah, it's fun scene. So I, you know, that kind of made up for me the fact that Bond didn't have many things to work with.
0: That's a good point. Um, so we have the Bond girls. Uh, this one. Yeah, this movie maybe not as as good as some of the others. Um, I was probably a little more forgiving on it. Um, I gave it a six. Um, I, th- I I really didn't like the way Mary Goodnight was portrayed throughout, like the majority of it. Um, but I did really like Anders. Um, I wish she was kind of in it more. Um, and but yeah. So AJ, what did you what did you give it?
1: So I gave this a four. I think that. Um you know, while I did think uh, they were <laughs> they were both very beautiful, I, I don't know if they were great in the story. And I think that going forward, they're going to course correct for this. Uh, I think this is probably the low point of when we were seeing Bond, you know, not really be so awesome to women. I, I think the, the womanizing was st- still going to remain for some time. Um, And it'll kind of morph as mores change. Uh, You know, we saw, like, for instance, like, in Living Daylights, like, it's only one Bond girl. It comes out in 85. It's in the middle of the AIDS crisis. So, like, they're trying to move along with different parts of the story. But here, you know, these, it almost feels like kind of a response to the feminist movement that these are such, like, bad characters. Like, that they're, like, they're made to seem so crappy. Uh, Hmm. I don't know. You know, like, they make her so... They make Mary Goodnight so stupid. Yeah. yeah. You know?
2: I would have to give In the Same Ballpark a five um, for a lot of the reasons you both said. Uh, I liked Andrea Anders, but because she was somewhat cut short, it couldn't really make up for the fact that Goodnight was uh, such a weird, contradictory, and ill-treated character.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I I feel you. Uh, Moving right along, keeping the pace going, guys. The villain uh, is... Mr. Mr. Mandel uh I love the way Hervé said that. Um I love this guy, man. I uh I think in the lo- looking back comparing him to the different Bond villains, he's a threat. Uh the guys we saw even in the recent Dalton movies, um you know, they were menacing for sure. And uh, I think that they definitely brought um you know, they're bringing more physical uh more physical work to the character and you could see that roger moore is also doing that in this movie too um but i don't know i i like this guy i think he's one i think he's definitely one of the greats 10
0: i gave him a nine yeah um i it's probably the highest score i've given one of the villains um i do think he's threatening i i love his his screen presence christopher lee um just and you know and sometimes like you have a great actor and and the villain isn't like the character yeah. isn't great and like it just it kind of goes hand in hand here. Um and uh yeah, I it is kind of a I was thinking about it at the end of the movie. It's like it's kind of a bummer of the way he goes out and it's just like that's it. Like but that's kind of how he treats all of his uh his like targets, right? It's like one shot kill and that's it, and you move on to the next thing. So um obviously there was other things happening that they had to escape. So there was a reason why there was some urgency, Uh, but yeah, I I wish there was maybe a little bit more fanfare for his death. Um, What did you think of Scaramanga, Robbie?
2: I'd give him a nine. Um, I think he's a great villain. I think my only hesitation on giving him a 10 uh, would be that there, yeah, I think there wasn't a lot of fanfare around his death. And like I mentioned before, I I found his relationship to the solar uh, power plot confusing. But uh, I liked, you know, that he was just basically a weird guy who could shoot well. And this is the (laughs) villain. Um, Yeah. You know, that to me is a very just interesting idea and how basic it is. Um, You know, just give him these bizarre flourishes of personality. Uh, I, I liked that about him a lot awesome um so physical
0: antagonist um this is another one where this movie there's not like a very clear separate physical antagonist i mean i think you can maybe say he he goes one-on-one with knick-knack but i don't think he's like the henchman guy um i agree i think the way aj said it before like Scaramanga is kind of also the physical antagonist so i gave this high ish marks i gave it an eight AJ what would you feel like about this
1: Uh yeah I ga- I gave this an uh a 10 because I think that so the duel scene I think is like we talked about it a little bit you know I in today's movie language I think that that would have just been told so much differently and like after having watched uh Hamilton actually this past weekend and uh thinking about like the actual idea of Bond doing a duel um it's kind of an interesting idea you know that he's 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 so far removed from the tropes of like the old west right like his character the way that we've seen him over the movies he's so removed from that but like uh it goes um even deeper to this older era of duels which is why i'm thinking about hamilton because it's like This is an old British thing that British people would do, that they would, you know, they can't agree on some bullshit. And (laughs) they go out and they shoot each other in a field. It seems kind of productive to me. But (laughs) I think that uh, when you see it in this movie, that uh, I'm like, shit, can he make this out of here? Like, is he going to get shot? Is a part of this movie that Bond gets shot and then we deal with it? You know? There's a lot of tension in the fact that he's only starting
0: with six bullets and he's like, five, four, three. It's like, shit, he's gonna run out of
1: bullets. Yeah. um I, yeah, I like that he was that, that he was threatening that he could you could definitely believe that um I, that Monsieur Scalmandel could definitely kill Bond. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, it was hard
2: for me to parse, you know who who is the physical antagonist and who is the villain uh, for the reasons mentioned um but taking Scaramanga and Nick Knack together as sort of duo um, i would i would give it a 9 as well uh, I, and Nick Knack really shined in that in his role as like the the director of the funhouse um, you know yeah. looking through the window having a laugh at what was happening when people were, when the when bond was confused um,
1: when they fall down the step he thinks that's so funny
2: yeah um, yeah i thought it was a great and like you said it was a real threat it seemed like to bond so i appreciated that Bond performance. Um, Okay.
1: So, so, all right, I'm going to go back here and I'm going to go back a a score with you. So I'm going to say eight. I think that Roger Moore is doing his level best to differentiate himself from Sean Connery in a movie that is forcing him to be a little bit like Sean Connery in a way. A lot of Bond movies we've been finding Rob are like, they'll kind of be reactionary to the previous movie. Mm-hmm. so like this movie is kind of a re like a reaction to live and let die and i would say the like the sets like there's much like the the gadgetry that's going on kind of the uh the casino scene like incorporating a lot of times they want to go back and incorporate more bond elements like gold golden eye is actually a really novel kind of bond movie that maybe daniel craig could have done and then tomorrow never dies is like let's bring back a bond car and a q scene and Do all the same stuff that you want. Nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. And I I think that Roger Moore is really trying to do his own thing here. And he was under tremendous pressure. And I, despite him having no control about the, you know, how Bond is portrayed on screen, he doesn't write the lines, he doesn't make the scenes. But I think that what he was trying to do in bringing Bond into a little bit of frustration, bringing Bond into a little bit of a more careless, reckless character who is, you know, a little bit angrier and a little bit dirtier, a little bit darker. Like he was trying to do something. It was just executed wrong.
0: Yeah. I, I also gave it an eight. Um, I do think this is a, a better performance than the last one. Um, I don't know if it's his best, but um, I, I do believe that he's James Bond and I feel like he can portray kind of the majority of the, not tropes but the you know the assets of, of, of what a bond is as a character um, yeah eight what,
2: you, what about you Robbie I, I will uh, I will agree with with your scores of an eight um, not having as much to go on in terms of comparing it to other bonds and other performances that I've seen recently I one moment that stuck with me um, I kind of showed the almost funny at this point, coolness of Roger Moore um what or two moments really one was when he actually in his karate fight kicks the guy who's bowing um and then just kind of stands there for a second like okay I I did it (laughs) um I thought it was well performed like he didn't try he didn't look like he was trying too hard and so you kind of got the idea like okay this guy he's he's got he knows what he's focused on he's not going to be distracted by these kind of challenges and then also when he was in the car with uh this American Southerner, and that guy was freaking out and you know hooting and hollering, and Roger Moore is just kind of like basically ignoring him, not reacting. I thought this was a nice touch to like, again, he he's got his eye on something and he's not easily distracted. I, I really felt that from him.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that specific scene because it's like. I do believe that Moore's bond would just kind of ignore him. But like if Daniel Craig
1: was in the car with that guy, he would have been thrown out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, moving right along to the legacy. I think this gets a high mark because we all, we all know about the golden gun. We knew to look, we need to learn about the golden gun be, from the very beginning. So I think that the legacy of this movie is pretty strong. I gave it a nine. Um, Gentlemen,
0: Um, Yeah, I I went a little lower. I went with a seven, um, I guess for a few reasons. I mean, I think if we're talking continuity, like this does feel like, okay, the last movie happened and we're watching him progress. Like Pepper is still there. This is clearly the same group of guys. Um, I think the legacy, I I wish it was like bigger. I don't know. For whatever reason, it's not one that I feel like I hear talked about all the time. It's like you hear you know goldfinger you hear um moonraker you hear like uh some of the other pierce brosnan ones and so like i wish this one was more highly regarded um because i i do think it it deserves it um and unfortunately like i think the relevancy like it to the time is really relevant like it has a lot of things that make it feel like it's 1974 um so that is good um but I think, uh, yeah, and Seven is not bad, Mark, I think.
1: Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad at all. Not bad. <laughs> Robbie? Passing.
2: Yeah, I would give it a Seven as well. Um, I think the the Golden Gun itself is iconic. Uh, Lee is a sort of memorable villain. Uh, the setting and everything was beautiful and interesting, but it, you're right, it doesn't it doesn't stick with you as you know, like something like Moonraker. It doesn't stick with you even... Yeah doesn't have the same sort of visual memory for me as something like uh, Goldfinger, right? Where there's a lot of very specific things where I'm like, oh, that, that stuck with me. That's Bond, you know, that's 007. Less of that here, though, I think it it hang, you know, it's in the air in some sense. <laughs> Everyone knows about the Golden Gun, like you said. Um, so there's some legacy there. And I think the connection to the its moment was really interesting. Um, but, it, you know, this category has a lot in it. So I think balancing that it against is, the legacy... I would still give it a seven. All
3: right. Yeah.
1: Getting there. Special effects. Special effects. Eight. eight
0: They're you say? fire.
1: Yeah. If you watch the car flip on mute, it's that's awesome. <laughs> they designed that with the computer and they uh you know, they worked it out. I think that if they had hid the, the, the set a little bit better, you wouldn't have seen that it's like a ramp built for the car to go do a flip. But other than that, I I think that the car chases in this uh movie are really adequate i think the boat chase even though it's a little redundant um uh, we didn't even talk about the elephant selling boy he just no. throws the boy off the oh thing. yeah that was bad another cool but, moment <laughs> but
0: the you know but then there's um, an elephant that an actual elephant
1: <laughs> there is an actual elephant um yeah I, I think the special effects in this movie are cool i like the car plane i like the seaplane. i i think that they really went all out and they and they Made a really amazing movie. Guy Hamilton is on record saying, that, like, we could have done a lot of this with models. We didn't on purpose because we wanted it to be real and shows. Yeah.
0: yeah, it does show. Um, I there. I think to me, there's no like really thing that stuck out as bad or anything that stuck out as like amazing. I think again, I just looked like across the board, I've given so many sevens. That's like where this movie sits with me. So it's a seventies, it's a seventies movie seven on the special effects. Um, I I love all the, the vehicles. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, even like stuff like the laser looks really cool and it, it doesn't feel, that
1: aged um no it doesn't feel hooky at all it feels like the it feels like the shrink ray from honey i shrunk the kids a little bit yeah
0: <laughs> and i guess like the one thing is like the set of his like the lab inside was just a little bit like like it felt like an awesome power set to me and i'm just like what do all <laughs> these like little buttons and gadgets do and like no one's like running around trying to do anything um so that yeah maybe that's why it could have gotten a little bit more detail there
2: See, I, I would actually give it an 8 because, in part, I liked that set. I thought, even though, I mean, it's a kind of weird thing that it was empty, um, but I took this as a sort of subtle reference to the sort of broader thing that was going on at the time, which was automation in factory work. Um, and, yeah. yeah, so you get this one guy right, almost humorously running this giant facility, um, and you have these big cooling tanks, uh, I don't know. It, it did seem a little Austin Powersy now that you say it, but you know, that makes sense given what Austin Powers is. Yep. Uh, and it and it worked for me uh, with the laser, with the car stunts, um, and even the car plane, which I thought was a little silly as an idea. It was very well executed. I was like, oh, you know, that's a it's an interesting thing to watch fly around.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, just like one other quick thing, like the the boat chase here in comparison to the last one from the last movie. Like it's, it's tamer. It's not as over the top. I think like we, the one thing we were complaining about last episode was like, there was like no music during that scene. I feel like it's on purpose though. Like they're like, we want everyone to feel and hear the engines go when, when like the boats and the planes are going and like, you don't need to hear the music. And like, maybe it's a different experience in a theater. Maybe then on TV, like you're just watching, you're like, all right, when's this going to (laughs) end?
1: Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, okay, and you're so perfectly, wait, Robbie, your rating of that one was eight, okay. Eight, perfect. yeah. Okay, and then, all right, so our last category here is the score in the song. This is the category I try the hardest not to talk about in the regular episode because it's so redundant to talk about it now. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I hate this one. Uh, I hate this song. I think the melody is really uh pretty, but I hate the song and I love the score. I'm glad that John Barry is back. Um I don't know. I'm not a fan of this one. What do you think, Frank? Um I so I
0: like it actually. Um I feel like it it's hummable, like it, it reminds I feel like it's integrated in pretty well. Um I yeah. I like that they use uh, the, the the specific movie uh, song and also, like, a good amount of the James Bond theme to differentiate, and I think it it kind of works throughout. And then you've got, like, interesting um, – I think there's a cool interpolation of, like, the Bond theme when they get to Macau, uh, either Macau or Hong Kong, that, like, uses kind of the instruments of that, that region, which was kind of cool. Um, so I gave it a 7. What did you
1: give it? I dropped it to a six. Okay. It's Cause I, just because I think I, I didn't love this. I don't love the sexual connotations in the song. Uh, I, you know, I didn't love uh, the way it's performed. I think it's sung very weird. We don't know this person. It was one of those people that they picked who was popular at the time who didn't become super ridiculously popular. Um, like, think about it now. Like in 10 years, will people know who Sam Smith is? I don't know, you know, probably. so <laughs> probably, but you know, I think it's a, uh, it's interesting. What did you think, Rob?
2: Yeah, I thought I would give it a, a six overall. I thought the song was enjoyable enough to listen to, but I could not remember it if I tried. So it didn't really make an impression on me. I remember it being somewhat psychedelic, which seems right for its kind of moment mm-hmm. and for coming off this fun house Cold open. Um but it yeah, it didn't it didn't make a strong impression. Uh and the score I thought, you know, it it worked frequently. I thought there was never a time where I thought it was especially strange or missing or anything. Um, but I almost think that using the Bond theme with the um East Asian instrumentation was too obvious given the setting of the whole movie. And they relied on it a lot, I felt. You know, they it, it's clear in some of the settings, like you mentioned, Frank, when they first have those opening shots. Um, but I felt like they came back to it a few times. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, it didn't add much to me to do that, even though it, it did fit with its location. Um, so i would give it a six. Awesome. All right. Um,
0: let's tally
1: let's them up. Tallying them up. Okay. So if you're keeping track at home, I'm giving this score. I'm giving The Man with the Golden Gun an 81. Frank, I'm at this sem-
0: movie. I'm at a 73. Um, not that's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, I, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I just think that um, you know some areas could have like wowed me a little bit more. And like the thing that I'm worried about is like at the end of this all, how much am I going to remember? Like some of the nitty-gritties. I'm going to remember Scaramanga. I'm going to remember Knick Knack. And the gun, but like the plot or the girls or like some of the other things, probably not as much.
1: Robbie gave this a seventy-five. Right. In the <laughs> thank thank you for wow. keeping
2: track because I, I was like, I have to listen to the episode and see what oh, I. Oh no no no!
1: I felt bad we didn't count Nate's last week, so I wanted to make sure I counted this week. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm listen. I think that these movies, like, it's been fun to watch them. Uh. In the weird hokey order that we've been going in, Rob, like, because we we haven't been going in a way that like is just the linear, you know, um you know, start at Connery and at Craig. Like, we went, we did the Brosnan movies, then we did the Craig movies, then we did Dalton and Lazenby, and like, I'm excited now to be like in the thick of Roger Moore, and I feel like I'm appreciating his legacy, and uh, I don't know, I. I also like that he doesn't take it so, so seriously and that he wanted to be a part of the franchise going forward. Like his, uh, on the commentary, when he starts it, he's like, this is definitely not so much a commentary as, as much like what I remember. Cause I made a ton of these movies super quick and I don't remember so much about the individual ones, but if something pops up here that I remember that I like, I'll tell you about it. And I think that that is a, a cool way to be a part of it. You know, uh, with him and sad to have, have lost him a couple of years ago, but I don't know. I I'm in. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Final thoughts? Go for it. I'm going to end this puppy.
0: Yeah, no, I think, uh, similar. I, I, Roger Moore is the, the era that I have seen the least of. So like, I'm really, glad to be a part of it. But I had this realization that's like, okay, watching this movie, we just marked like the halfway point of all the bond movies, (laughs) but this is like our 13th. So we still have a long ways to go. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that like, it's going to be peppered with Roger Moore and Sean Connery. We still have a lot of really good, good stuff to get through. Um, anything else for you, Robbie, anything you want to plug or (laughs) anything you want to mention?
2: Um, no, nothing to plug. Just really to say thanks for, for having me on. Is, it's a lot of fun to talk about this. And it's a lot of fun to you know go back to something that I haven't. I, I will say I rewatched Goldfinger not too long ago, like a year or so ago. Um, but I haven't watched most Bond movies in a really long time. And I didn't really watch. I watched some of the, the first couple of Daniel Craig ones when they were in theaters, but not all of them. So it was fun to go back to these and, and think about them now. Um, you know, just with a lens you don't have when you're 10 years old. <laughs>
1: well, Absolutely. yeah. And, and I think that, um, when you don't watch them all in a row, uh, you appreciate them for the escape that they are, you know, and that they, they do offer uh, two hours of no coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, at, and it, wherever you, you are those movies you're like oh look at all the people it looks like normal it's great everything's fine oh my god they touched each other (laughs) yeah uh i don't know i am i'm in i think that it's it's been a great time to do it uh robbie thank you so much for coming on i think the the bit about the geopolitical colonialism bit was awesome that was great you're the man uh yeah check him out uh you know he's your friend say hello he's in brooklyn be a good guy (laughs) Uh, all right so wrapping this puppy up you could find the podcast on spotify on google on apple Uh, you can go to our website www.longlostheroes.net you can email us info at longlostheroes.net you could find us on social media at llh podcast on instagram facebook and twitter i'm aj i'm frank and thank you robbie that's robbie thank (laughs) you so much buddy thanks a lot bye everyone